This parable begins with Jesus explaining what the meaning of it is before he begins. This might be the one and only time he does that. Usually he goes into a parable and then after the parable he remains silent. And then the disciples say, Master, what did that mean? And then he proceeds to tell him or maybe he gives a parable and then just says the meaning. But here he tells us up front that he says it's a necessity for us to pray always without becoming weary. So to paraphrase it, perseverance in prayer. The importance of persevering in prayer. Frequently, people have it in their mind, at least subconsciously. Not that they really think like this out loud, but it's kind of in the back of their mind that prayer is a consoling, comforting thing. And it certainly can be a consoling, comforting thing. But for those of us who know that we have to pray always, we know that prayer is a painful thing. It's a very hard thing. The Catechism of the Catholic Church entitles the chapter on prayer, quote, the battle for prayer, the battle of prayer. It's like going into battle. It's really, really hard to pray, to pray always. To pray without being distracted. You get down and start praying our rosary before Mass, and, and how many of you are doing dinosaurs? It's really hard to stay focused in prayer. It's hard to be disciplined to carve out the time for prayer. Let's say you want to pray five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the afternoon, five minutes at night, and you'd be amazed at how many times those five minutes don't happen. Or they get moved around and it ends up being 15 minutes at night instead of five in the morning, five in the afternoon, five at night, kind of thing. Prayer is really hard. It's a form of suffering. And it's a sacrifice given to God. And there is its redemptive quality. When Adam and Eve fall in the Garden of Eden, the only thing that redeems the human race is when man or woman offer some kind of sacrifice. And Adam will do that with animals. And his, son, his sons, Cain and Abel, will do that too with animals and their fruit of the fields, etc. They're offering sacrifice to God in that way, in a ritualized way like we do here with Jesus himself. But there has to be a sacrifice for any good thing to become the person we want to become or to endure in our marriage or to, uh, to have a, a healthy body and a healthy lifestyle. There has to be sacrifice. And prayer is an extension of the sacrifice. It's the offering given to God. Well, why do we do this? What's, you know, what would motivate us to pray? Well, there's praying for ourselves. The, in the parable of the, of the persistent woman who keeps going after the unjust judge. She wants something. There's some kind of an injustice or pain in her life. And she wants it fixed. And the only one who can fix it is this unjust judge. And Jesus says of the unjust judge that he'll eventually do it because he fears that maybe the woman will strike him down. Maybe when he's in the marketplace, she'll drive a dagger into him or something. And so he says, although the judge is, doesn't fear God and he's not a just man, he does it out of his own self-preservation. Our Lord says those words of the unjust judge to draw a contrast with himself, that God is pure justice. God wants the woman to have justice. And more than that, God is pure comfort. And so if a man who has no desire to comfort another person or cares one iota about justice would do for another because of their perseverance, imagine what God would do with our perseverance. In his infinite love and care and mercy and desire for justice and comfort, he would act on it. And he would act on it in a spectacular way. In a way, in the next life, we'll understand just how spectacular that was that he acted upon it. 
Speaking of acting upon it, why doesn't God act upon it right away? Why does he make us persevere in prayer? Why can't God be like my microwave? I put something in there and hit the 30-second button, and 30 seconds later it's hot and warm, and I got what I want. Because he's not a microwave. He's not our servant either. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he's sovereign, and he's infinite, and glorious beyond measure. In fact, we have absolutely no right to ask anything of him. That's a fact. But in his infinite mercy, he says, ask stuff of me anyway. I know you have no right. You're nothing next to me. That's true. All of us collectively next to God are nothing. But in his great infinite mercy, he gives us the gift of prayer. And he says, now I want you to ask. I want you to ask. I want you to be in a relationship with me. Which gets to this reason. The reason why there's perseverance in prayer is so that we'll have not only a relationship with the Lord, if there was no need for prayer, there'd be no need, there'd be no relationship. God would just serve me and there'd be no relationship. He'd be like a a vending machine. But because we have to keep going back to him and back to him, a relationship forms over time. And not just any relationship, a relationship of respect and understanding that he's in charge, not me. That I owe everything to God, not the other way around. Which we keep getting in our head, God owes me something. God give me this, and then he does it. Now I'm mad. I'm mad. God didn't give me what I wanted. God owes us nothing. He gave us life, gave us the breath, air we're breathing, he gave us everything. So why does he make us persevere? Well, for those reasons I've just said, but ultimately for our conversion. That he wants to change us. That's number one. His big goal for me is for me to be changed into a holier man. Goal number one. And he knows it won't happen if he keeps giving me everything I want ever the first time I ask him. Imagine if from the time we were born we could get everything we wanted. We had all still be walking around in diapers because none of us wanted to be potty broken. But nobody's going to change our diapers for us. Nobody's going to do that. So we have to suffer to learn how to use the toilet and all that other stuff. It's the same thing with God. He, he wants our conversion. He wants us to surrender away our will. To keep turning over to him. Turning over to him. And it's not going to happen if he keeps giving us everything we want as soon as we ask. And it's not going to happen if he gives us everything we want in a long period of time either. There are things that we want that he knows we should not have. There are times in our life when he knows the best thing for us right now is to fail. Dear God, please give me that job. I really want that job. It would be the perfect job. It would fix all these other problems in my life and da-da-da. And he sees, no, the best thing for you is not to get the job. So that that whole materialistic mindset that you have can begin to collapse. And you can understand that that eternal things are important. Or it might be that, dear God, I don't know, uh, I don't know, dear God, please fix my son, my drug-addicted son. And then God doesn't. And he doesn't because the son has a will too. And he'll always honor a person's free will. But in those constant prayers for the drug-addicted son, change is happening in the mom or the dad who keeps praying. And that's a really beautiful and good thing. Which leads me to the first reading. Moses and the Israelites have escaped from slavery in Egypt, made their way through the Red Sea, they're in the Sinai, they're in the wilderness, 
God smites them for 40 years because of their obstinacy, etc., and they have to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. The Amorites, who are this tribe that's in the eastern half of the Sinai and kind of up to the east side of the Jordan River, they're threatened by the presence of the Israelis. And so Amalek, their king, sends their men off into battle to wipe out the Israelites. They don't want to be dispossessed by the Israelites. And so here's Moses, probably 100 years old. Remember, Moses was uh, 80 years old when they got out of Egypt. They've been in the wilderness, I don't know how long. He's between 80 and 120, because he dies, he dies at 120. Uh, Moses, an old man, he can't pick up a sword anymore and go, go into war. But he can pray, he can pray. And so the men, under Joshua's command, the men take up swords and rakes and, I don't know, shovels and whatever things they can use for weapons to, to defend themselves against the Amorites. And as long as Moses will keep his arms up, and it's kind of symbolic in a cruciform position, then the Israelites will have the better of the battle. But you can imagine the arms going down of weariness. At 18, I was in boot camp, and this was one of the tortures the drill sergeants would do to us. They just have us stand there like this. And it's like, hey, you coming back? If you noticed, we're all over. After a while, we're like, and then they make us do push-ups and all that stuff. So this is this really important feature here is that Aaron and her two priests come alongside Moses and hold his arms up. And that's it. As long as the arms stay up, the Israelites will win, and they do win. They defeat Amalek and the Amorites, and they're saved. But it needed, Moses needed someone's help. And this is where I finish. There are times when I can't pray. If you're ever sick, you'll notice you really can't pray. I I take comfort in reading the lives of the saints, and it's the same thing for them. They fall sick and they can't pray. Or at least they can't pray like, you know, the bravery, or they couldn't even pray the rosary necessarily. They couldn't pray the rosary even. Their sickness is their prayer. Their sickness is the offering. It's the sacrifice. If prayer is ultimately some kind of offering or sacrifice to God, in their case, the saint is sick and the, the... the offering, the sacrifice, is their sickness without complaining, etc., just giving it to God. But they can't pray their formal prayers, etc. There are times when people are physically sick or maybe mentally sick, where they can't pray, or maybe something like an addiction or something is coming in there and making a real mess of things. And this is where we need others to come alongside us. I have been sustained and supported by your prayers and the prayers of countless others for the 25, 6 years that I've been a priest or a seminarian I would have dropped out of the seminary without your prayers I would have left the priesthood without your prayers prayers are incredibly important super powerful super powerful when we think well I don't really feel like praying today think that that's somebody out there who has their arms in the air can't do it anymore because today I didn't feel like it and now they're going to lose something important and something ultimately that will be important to you too know that our need for prayer isn't just for ourselves; it's for other people big time big time 
And of, I heard that the world is going to hit 8 billion people very shortly. Of 8 billion people, how many of them pray to Jesus Christ, to the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit? Us, a minority, certainly a minority. A minority of the world's people are Christians. But I know so many Catholics who just don't pray every day. The reality is most people don't pray every day. What a tragedy. But somebody, something has to sustain the world. Has to try to bring about justice and goodness in the world. In our lives. And that is the people who pray. So as I get up for my holy hour in the morning, exhausted, whatever it might be. Not feeling it today. I go and do it anyway. I go and do it anyway. Even if I've struggled the whole time through to stay focused. Sometimes I'll I'll finish a a minute long prayer and I'll, I'll think, I didn't focus at all. I'm so sorry, Lord. But he was glad I tried. So know this, that there are people counting on our prayers. They're counting on our prayers. And they would lose. They would lose their battle. The battle for their soul. Unless you and I pray. Unless you and I are persistent in prayer. Never giving up on that. Never giving up. And in my experience, I find that when I pray for you, that people return those prayers a hundredfold. Know that whatever prayers you're praying are doing great good, whether you can see it or understand it. They're bringing about a conversion, which is priority number one for God, our conversion. And they're doing great things, converting other people too. And other people need those prayers. They desperately need those prayers. So please, be like that woman who goes after the unjust judge, Moses in the wilderness. Keep praying, never giving up on the prayers. Not knowing the grace, uh, how God will use the grace for them, for what good. But know that they're doing immeasurable good, both for you and for others unknown.